0: back to pinder and steinberg sportsnet 960 the fan
1: well that didn't go as planned welcome to pinder and steinberg here on sportsnet 960 the fan peter klein logan gordon with you in the one o'clock hour steinberg will join at two and he'll be on your radio for about 10 hours it is another calgary flames game day and abbreviated program today as logo said in the update 3 30 warm-up four forty five puck drop all of it here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. A lot to cover after Game 2. Another frustrating loss in another important time of year for the Calgary Flames. Um, We'll talk about it, all about it, uh, coming up here throughout the show. Ryan Pike joining us at about 1.30 to chat uh, about this frustrating loss. And this is one of those ones where I don't know if I'm overreacting or if I'm being too negative but given the circumstances, that is about as bad of a loss as I think you can come up with for the Calgary Flames. And I get, only one game, don't overreact. Counterpoint to that, it's one game out of five, so I would suggest appropriately react. No Shifley, no Laine, Andrew Kopp is penciled in as the top-line center, and you lose? To that? And look, before I get too far into this, full marks to the Winnipeg Jets. Tried their asses off. Worked really hard. And made some very good plays. Nikolai Ehlers gets good position on foreboard. Deflection gives the team a lead. Harkins is left wide open. Takes advantage. Full marks to him. Connor Hellebuck, not overly tested, and we'll get into that as the show goes on. But he's been good. A A lot of Winnipeg Jets step up when called upon and that is what you want to see when you have your two top players go down with injury one very controversially you want to see your team step up and for the winnipeg jets full marks for stepping up for the calgary flames it shouldn't have mattered i ranted about this during the regular season it feels like eight years ago so i'm honestly wondering if it was two regular seasons ago or this one probably this one because this regular season wasn't as good as the last one I am so tired of having the Flames lose and then hearing, oh, well, the other team worked really hard. You're in essentially the Stanley Cup playoffs. I guess it's a qualifier, but just roll with me here. You're in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The other team working hard shouldn't be enough to just throw you off this whole thing. I don't care how gutsy the Jets were. I don't care how hard they battled, just because a team battles hard and just because a team put out a gutsy showing, that shouldn't be enough to beat you. It is the Stanley Cup playoffs. You've been off for four GD months. Working hard shouldn't be an issue. You look at the talent gap between both sides of the Jets and the Flames matchup going into yesterday, and we had debates about... Which forward group was deeper and which forward group was better? I ain't hearing that one now. That crowd is silent because the top two stars for the Jets go down. Andrew Kopp is the first line center, and they beat the Flames. So any discussions of, oh, well, top line can match top line, and the depth of the... Out. Not hearing it. Not listening to it. That is an atrocious loss for the Calgary Flames. When you come into this tournament talking about lessons learned from playoffs past and being sick of losing this is a business trip not a vacation and a lot of this sounds like i'm taking runs at matthew kachuk i thought he was fine but we hear all of these discussions about how this is going to be different and about how seriously this team is taking it this time and then you go out and get run by a dude who was in the american hockey league like an hour ago like i just don't get what is missing I still don't believe talent's an issue with this team. I don't. Johnny Gaudreau, really good at the sport of hockey. Sean Monahan puts the puck into the net, as well as most people in the league. Very good at it. Elias Lindholm, strong two-way play, thought he was good. Andrew Mangiapani, just a dog to play against. Matthew Kachuk, sees the game like almost no other, and can just get under other people's skin. Michael Backlund, another solid 200-foot player. Talent-wise, I don't think this is a team that's lacking. If you just stack it up overall versus overall, I think this is a pretty good hockey team. So there's something else missing. And I don't even think it's coaching. We've gone through enough coaches now with relatively the same group. I don't think coaching's the issue. And yet still, you go through playoff after playoff, important game after important game, and well, golly gee, didn't that other team work hard is just not enough for me anymore. I, oh. It's so frustrating. It is so, so frustrating to watch where this team goes when these games actually get down to actually mattering. So instead of just ranting and raving about, okay, how can you lose this game? Well, let's dive a little bit deeper into how did you actually lose this game? And defensively, didn't like what the Flames did. Geo gets caught pinching. I'm never going to get on a defenseman for pinching. You look at how effectively Columbus's defense gets activated in the offensive game. And really, when the Flames were at their best a couple years ago, how active their blue line is in the offensive side of things. Unless it's egregious, I'm never going to get on a defenseman for pinching. Brody comes over, maybe overcommits a bit, but Dylan Dubé probably should... You know, see the other guy shrieking down the other side of the ice. Don't leave that so wide open. It's a breakdown and it's a goal. And then Adam Lowry, I still haven't figured out how you get left that alone in front of the net for a scoring opportunity. He takes advantage. Ehlers gets position on foreboard. Like I said before, he gets the, the game winning goal for the Winnipeg Jets. So defensively, things needed to change and, and things need to be just tightened up. Uh, a little bit more, I think, from a Flames perspective. And the power play was rough last night. Yesterday afternoon. Whatever. Game two. The Jets came out with a bit more of an aggressive penalty kill look. The Flames, it, it gave them fits all afternoon. It's a, it's an alteration that the Jets make. I, I'm not going to get too hard on it. Uh, I will just say it's one of those things where you get taught in basketball. Hey, if there's two guys on you, that means someone's open. When you have an advantage anyway and there's two guys around you, that means a couple dudes are open. It just didn't seem like the Flames handled that pressure all that well. And this is where we get into the adjustments that you make in a five-game series when every game is crucial and every game is important. The Jets make a little bit of an adjustment to just go out there, be a bit more aggressive on the penalty kill, and it really did seem to give the Flames some fits. So now it's the counterpunch from the Calgary Flames. How do they adjust to that? How do they adjust to, A, things on the penalty kill, and B... How, how do you adjust to, to everything that the Jets did in general? And it gets to what changes need to be made going into game three. And I'm seeing some people suggesting Jankowski in, Ronaldo out. Ronaldo played as much of the third period as I did yesterday. And I, I can see where it's coming from. But A, when you're looking for a bit more life out of a group... I don't think taking Ronaldo out of a lineup and putting Chankowski in is the way to go about things. And B, this series doesn't shift based on your fourth line. It has to be your top players being your top players. I know that's cliche, and it's not the hottest take in the world, but when you look at this thing through two games, the Jets' best players are hurt. And then their next best players have stepped up, and the Flames' best players, it was all right game one when the Jets looked like their mind was elsewhere – game two it wasn't necessarily there the biggest question i have is what do the flames do in goal today with cam talbot i think talbot's been good i don't think you can put a whole lot of the blame on cam talbot for the first couple of games i I think well i mean a they won the first one so tough to blame anyone for anything on that but i i don't put yesterday on cam talbot but now you're going into a back-to-back situation do you go with reddick do you go with talbot I think Talbot's been fine. I still might go Riddick, just based on the the back-to-back scenario. Get the fresher guy in. Maybe provides a bit of a spark for a team that looked pretty lifeless through large portions of that game against the Jets. I think I think you probably go with Riddick there, but I, I'm I'm not going to get too worked up either way. The main thing that has to change is how easy it is once again to push this Calgary Flames team to the outside and how easy it is to take away high-danger opportunities. The first two games of this series, the Flames are down 13-5 in high-danger chances. You want to make life difficult for the guy who's going to be winning the Vesna Trophy when we get to round, get around to handing out those trophies? Maybe make him work a little bit harder than 13-5 to high-danger chances in the first two games of the series. Like, that's just... That's not going to do it. You haven't made Connor Hellebuck steal a game yet. You, you haven't made Connor Hellebuck come out with a, a superhuman performance that I think we all kind of know is coming, or is at least it's there. The possibility is there. And now, if he does that, the Jets only need one more, right? Because if he comes out with a superhuman game, you're just not beating them, right? Like he's He is that good this season that if he just comes out and is just like, "Now we're not losing tonight, they ain't losing tonight. You haven't made him work hard enough to even have the opportunity to steal a game yet. We say it time and time again. You gotta get to the dirty areas. You have to, have to, have to make life miserable for Connor Hellebuck. And look at how the Flames two goals come. You have a good four check, creates a steal and a goal. That's just working hard, right? Like that's all that's all that. Is. I mean, Elias Lindholm with the shot. He got a real good shot. So there's talent there, but It's working hard. Bennett comes in, takes a shot. Lucic, good job keeping the rebound alive. Bennett continues to drive, goes to a bit of a tough area, wraparound scores. It's just working hard. If the Flames can match the grittiness and the work ethic of the Winnipeg Jets, you win this series, especially if there's no Scheifele or Laine. You are miles more talented than this team if they don't have Shifley or Laine. You match that work ethic, they got nothing else on you unless their goalie stops 50. So that's the frustrating part of this. When you look at talent versus talent, going into game two, significant advantage Calgary. But once again, we are talking about a team that worked hard and beat the Flames in a game that mattered. Texts nine six zero nine six zero. Judging from the text line, I was worried I was going to be a bit too harsh today. Looks like a few people are in agreement with me. Um, just because the Flames win game one, why do we suddenly think uh, the Flames can lose another game? Big overreaction. Tonight will be a very big telling point for me of whether or not they have learned from the Avalanche series. Because if they still haven't, then the same old script will repeat itself as always. They come out to play. Uh, They have to come out to play with a sense of urgency. Agreed. I like this one. The Jets were missing their star players, and apparently the Flames were too. You just need the best guys to be the best guys. And I just, that's what it's going to come down to. The two best players for the Jets aren't playing. At least they weren't in that one. You cannot lose that game. I'm going to say you can't lose this one either. I don't know. I, I haven't, Check Twitter since the show started. I don't know if we have an update on Shifley Line. Probably not going to get one until we see either of them out for any kind of a warm-up or anything like that. But if it's the same rosters going out there game one or game three as there was for game two, you have to, you have to win that game. You, you just you cannot lose a series when Andrew Kopp is the other team's first line center. All due respect to Andrew Kopp, I think he's fine. First line center, he is not. And this one, Klein, you're so negative, jeesh. Is that how you spell that? Anyway, look, I I get, I I would have loved to come on here today and say, hey, look at that. That is what you do from a Flames perspective. No Shifley, no Laine, so it doesn't feel quite the same. But the Flames go out and they treat a bad team like a bad team and they beat up on them and they pick up a win. And now they have a chance to put the series away. I would love to be doing that show this morning or this afternoon now. But I don't know what you looked at from that game and think, oh, okay, well, let's go out and be bubbly on the radio for the first segment of the day. Not going to happen. Sorry. This person, Kleiner's right, softer than baby bleep effort last night. It's it's mind-boggling that we're having these conversations this far along in, uh, I guess now, the postseason in the NHL. Time for us to take a break. Keep the text coming. Some good ones at 960960. Ryan Pike joins us next from Flames Nation. What adjustments need to be made going into game three today? Warm up at 3.30. Puck drop 4.45 here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
0: Pinder and Steinberg right now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: An abbreviated version of Pinder and Steinberg today as we have the Flames and the Jets game three of their Western Conference qualifying round series thing. 3.30 is your warm-up, 4.45 is the puck drop here on Sportsnet 9's Fan. Very pleased to be joined now from FlamesNation.ca, a Monday regular on a Tuesday because Monday was a holiday and also a Flames game day, uh, it is Ryan Pike. Mr. Pike, how are you today, sir?
2: oh i'm I'm excellent it's uh getting it's 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 a weird back to back games uh on back to back days at weird times but you know we're making we're making the best of it i mean some hockey's better at, at weird times is better than no hockey at all so I figure we're all rolling with it how how about you how are things going with you
1: things are good uh yelled about the flames for the first segment, so it really does feel like nature is healing it does feel like things are are just getting back to normal you know
2: Hey, hey anytime uh, Matthew Kachuk makes people mad at him, you know nature is healing. Because, you know, for him, like, pro- he probably hasn't been threatened with physical violence because of something on the ice in, like, probably since, like, February or March. So he, he must have felt antsy about it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's really all that whole thing was, just him getting back to normal. Uh, well, we'll get to the uh, the Kachuk situation in a little bit. But that was, uh, given the circumstances with no Shifley and line a, a real frustrating loss from the Calgary Flames in Game Two. J- just overall, before we dive into a few more specifics, what did you make of that Game Two loss?
2: Well, it was it was very Flamesy, if you want to if you want to put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a group that you know if, if you go back to basically what the the Flames clinched a playoff spot in 2018-19, by losing on st patrick's day they had a chance on this previous day which is a saturday the 16th of march to win and clinch actively and then they lost that game it was very one-sided they did not look good and then they backdoored their way into a clinching situation on st patrick's day and since then there are about five games about 500 they're very much win one lose one win one lose one and the the you know i think Derek wills has put a For the best, uh, you know, multiple times, just the notion that the the only thing consistent about the team is their inconsistency. So they had a a game, you know, game one, where, you know, I don't think they were amazing, but they were effective. They were physical, they were engaged and they didn't really like let Winnipeg really do anything with a game plan. And part of it was their special teams because, you know, uh, a common thread in all of these uh, qualifying round games, uh, round Robin and otherwise has been, you know, 10, 12 minutes and penalties for each team. And so special teams has been pretty big. But the Flames were fine at five on five because they could get away with being fine at five on five. They were really good in special teams. And, you know, when you get two power play goals, an empty net goal, and a shorthanded goal, you should win most of the time. And so they did. And game two, the things that made the Flames effective in game one weren't really there as often. They weren't really as physical, they weren't really as organized, they weren't really as engaged. Uh I, I wanted to tire it on Twitter, uh, you know, uh, at the beginning of the third period because the they're you know, the, you know, dating back to Bill Peters, the, the flames have had trouble breaking out of their zone with regularity and uh, Bill used to use a phrase called quick outs where the idea being you use short, quick passes to rapidly move the puck out of your zone quickly. You avoid the middle of the zone and you maintain possession of the puck through the neutral zone and that way you're able to gain Uh, entry in the offensive zone with some speed, with some numbers. And all of a sudden, you know, instead of having, you know, the other team sort of standing up in the offensive zone or the neutral zone, swatting down your pucks, they have to deal with a fast team. And unfortunately the flames did something I affectionately call the flippy nowhere pass to nowhere, where, you know, they got, they had such trouble getting out of their own end that, you know, everybody, Giordano, Brody, Ronaldo you know, everyone on the team had to resort to that sort of looping, slippy pass in the neutral zone, which always resulted in a turnover and always resulted in more offensive zone time for Winnipeg. So the thing that made the flames effective on the power play uh, you know penalty killing and even strength they weren't really there as often and i think that made it a little bit challenging with the flings because you know for the 42nd time in 72 games this year they started behind the eight ball getting scored on early and then they basically had to climb in the mountain and you know at a certain point you know you just don't have it in you anymore right
1: yeah and this is it's been a theme for a little bit the whole Starting on time thing and stuff like that, right? But uh, again, back to back games this series, you fall behind one nothing. And in these games that matter, especially against a Jets team, that even with a couple guys who are out, they're going to make you work for absolutely every inch. That you're right, that has to get just exhausting after a while.
2: Yeah, and and I I got to You got to give Winnipeg some credit here because if you look at the guys that came in, you know uh, especially Jansen Harkins. You know he he's been impressive dating back to his days in the Western League. But you know uh, Gabriel Bork is a capable depth player. Uh, I forget the. Actually, I I apologize. I, actually, uh, Logan Shaw actually coincidentally Logan Shaw was I believe uh, a PTO in Flames camp last year and ended up sort of catching on with the Jets. Uh, and you know with all three guys have NHL experience, all three guys are sort of just capable depth guys. But the the nice thing for the Jets was, you know, they, they lost their best center. They're already down Brian Little. And so rather than sort of leaning on one line, like, you know, the 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 watchword of the Flames has basically been, if Goudreau's line is going, watch out. And if Goudreau's line isn't going, uh-oh. With Winnipeg, they don't have a, a Goudreau or a Monaghan to really lean on. They've, they've been just absolutely delusious injuries all year. But because they've been delugious injuries all year, they've had the ability to sort of just go with three or four pretty even lines and then just roll. And, you know, they, their, their fourth line and their third line were very, very, very effective against Calgary's third and fourth lines uh, in the first and second periods, especially last game. And that was huge for Winnipeg because, you know, uh, most of the time, you know, the, the – most coaches, you know, both Paul Maurice and uh, Jeff Ward are using sort of a strength versus strength approach where, you know, uh, the back of the line is out against uh, the first line. The the Lindholm-Goudreau-Monahan line is out against Winnipeg's second line. Uh, and then it's basically just can you get more out of your depth guys than Winnipeg can? And in the first two games, the answer has been not really. The answer so far in the first two games has been I think Winnipeg's depth players have been the difference in this series in the first two games. And you know I, I think that's going to be something that needs to change if the Flames want to be playing beyond Thursday. Because you know if if it turns into that kind of a grinding game like Winnipeg had them playing you know yesterday, I think the Flames might be in trouble.
1: So do you, do you anticipate any changes or anything going into game three here today?
2: Um, p- potentially I, I saw both Wes Gilbertson and uh, Pat Steinberg sort of just pause it on, uh, on Twitter uh, earlier in the day. Maybe Zach Ronaldo gets swapped out. Uh, Ronaldo had exactly zero shifts in the third period, uh, and he's one of the guys, you know, the fourth line has been Ronaldo Reeder and Derek Ryan and Derek Ryan can kill penalties. And so can Toby Reeder and Zach Ronaldo is just sort of there for, you know, three or three to five minutes of, you know, hitting and forechecking checking a game. And he wasn't really that not noticeable in the first two games. And I could see potentially the flames, if they want to maybe figure out different looks on uh, for face because, you know, they, they were, you know, they, were not particularly good in face offs last game. So maybe put Mark Jankowski in so you have another guy who can take draws. That could be something that they like. Uh, if they're worried that, you know, putting in some bigger guys and some slower guys might lead the game to slow down a bit and they're looking for a bit of pace. Alan Quine has played the NHL level a lot and he's quite effective and he can also take face off. So maybe that can help. Uh Austin Zarnick was, you know, very effective for Stockton, you know, after he got sent down, he's a, a fast guy who can contribute offense. So I think a lot of it depends on, you know, what Jeff Ward wants to do to sort of shake up the the lines and give them some more options because, you know, so far Winnipeg's had to make more adjustments on the fly. And I think so far they've been more effective at it. But now that we're sort of uh you know, Jeff Ward, you know, yesterday in his post game availability sort of noted uh, sort of amusedly that this is where the coaching begins. Like this, you know, the The teams are fairly evenly matched and now it becomes a chess game between the two coaches to sort of see what combinations of guys they can use and potentially, you know, using some of their depth. You know, one of the things I thought the Flames did a a smart job with when they put together their their, uh, roster for the playoffs was every single body on the roster was somebody they used this year. Like, they had, you know, we make the exception of, uh, you know, Yusuf Valimaki because he was hurt, but the Flames used 28 different skaters this year, and with the exception of, uh, of you know, Michael Froelich, who they traded, they're all on the, uh, the camp roster, which means, you know, they're not, you know, rolling the dice and going, oh, goodness, we hope this guy can do this in this situation. They have a pretty good book and a pretty good amount of confidence in all the guys they have on the depth chart. So if they need to, for instance, go to a Zarnik or go to a Klein or go to a Jankowski, they know these guys pretty well. So I think how they use it at depth in the next one to three games could really determine what happens in the series. But, you know, I, I said this early on, I still think it's going five games. I don't know who's winning at this point, but I still think this whole series goes five games.
1: I would love to see Austin Zarnick uh, check in. I'm I'm pretty out on Jankowski right now. I would really like to see Zarnik, but my only issue with it is he hasn't played an NHL game in a long time, and this is it, it certainly has the feel of a must win. Um, you don't want to go down two games to one in a best of five. Would you have any issue with guy playing his first NHL game in, I think most of the year, um,
2: having that be game three of a, a playoff series? I probably wouldn't. I mean, Austin's already played in a lot of big games and, you know, he's, he's a guy that they know pretty well. I mean, you know, I think the big challenge for him was, you know, maybe it's a psychological thing for him because he, he had that high ankle sprain early in the season. and The problem was he was playing so well. I think he got hurt right around Halloween or right after Halloween and he was playing so, so well. And then he had that high ankle sprain and then, you know, The the you know with high ankle sprains it's so hard to get your speed back at the NHL level because you just don't get the reps. So he had to go down to Stockton to sort of get his wheels back. And then by the time he basically got up and up and running, the Flames didn't really have any injuries anymore. And I don't think they really wanted to bring him up for like a weekend, you know, to just sort of sit in the press box and eat popcorn. I think they wanted to bring him up and have a spot for him to stay in. So. I think uh, for him, the fact that he hasn't played an NHL game is sort of more a matter of circumstance than a matter of skill. I, I definitely think he's a, a good enough player to help him out. And you know, let's be honest. I think the fact he hasn't played in the NHL since October also means that Winnipeg doesn't really have much of a book on him. They, you know, if you're if you're the Jets, you're trying to you know go back and you know do some video scouting on the different looks the Flames could give you. Sarnik's an ace in the hole because because he hasn't played in the NHL for so long. He's a little bit of an unknown to Winnipeg, probably more so than he is to Calgary.
1: What about between the pipes? We have a lot of data that shows goalies playing in the back half, or playing both parts of a back to back doesn't necessarily go that well. That tends to not factor in that these guys aren't traveling at all right now. I think it's an interesting discussion. I like Cam Talbot and how he's played the first couple of games, but. I also think that having Riddick be fresh in there for a Game 3 might be an interesting boost to this club, too. So I, I keep going back and forth. Uh, do you have any definitive lean as to, to where you would
2: go between the pipes? In the past two years, the Calgary Flames coaching staff, since Jeff Ward's been here, the past two years, every single back-to-back situation, with the exception of two weeks where uh, John Gillies is up as a third goalie uh, last year, because I believe originally Riddick was was had a, a twinge and then Smith had a twinge for another week. Uh, th- those two times they used the same goalie in both games because, I don't know, I guess they didn't want to use John Gillies at all. But every other back-to-back situation, and we're talking about like 22 situations, they've always split up the starts. It's always been one guy one night, one guy the other. On the other hand, Talbot's been really good. I mean, Talbot, you know, if, if Talbot looked fatigued against Winnipeg, if Talbot faced you know, 40 shots. I'd go, ah, that's a lot of rubber for him to face. He was busier than he was in game one, but I also thought he was a little bit better. He made, you know, that, that absolutely, you know, he, he basically robbed, uh, one of the Winnipeg Jets in the third period when, uh, Derek Forbort sort of, uh, served up a pizza up the middle and, uh, they ended up having a two on O the other way. Uh, I, I think they're probably going to go with Talbot again. I, I, I think it'll be up to him. They'll probably go want to go and, I think knowing how much of a competitor to Cam Talbot is, I think he'll want to go. But also, I don't know. I think he's, I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt and he was good enough. The first two games, you know, he, what two games, he gave up four goals and you can't really fault him on any of the goals he gave up. So I think you gotta, you gotta ride him until you have a reason not to, right?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that, but it, it's, it's, we all knew that this was going to be an interesting discussion when we saw the back-to-back on the schedule and now it's here and like I, I, I'm with you. I've liked Talbot so far. I, I think if you're riding the hot hand, his hand's pretty hot. So I, I think I would, I think I would go back with Talbot for this game.
2: Or do you want to go completely crazy and throw an team Zagatulin just to see what happens? <laughs> I mean, right. we're talking about we're talking about ways to sort of throw the game plan out. There's no way Winnipeg has a book on Archim Zagatulin. I'm not sure if the Flames have a book on Archim Zagatulin. So that's yeah. what my prediction is. They put in Zagatulin, and they win the next three games. That is that. Is, uh, there. I think we're done.
1: I'm going to one-up you. I thought the Flames' best hockey yesterday was when they pulled the goalie with about a minute left. Just six on five this whole game, baby. Let's go. Let's convention out the window. You guys need a boost. Here's an extra player the whole time. Let's just roll with it.
2: Hey, I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna dispute the idea of Jeff Ward secretly playing five-dimensional chess with uh, with Paul Maurice. I mean, we've already had the you know the war through the media with. You know both coaches sort of declaring uh things about uh, Matthew Kachuk's character one way or the other uh we've had you know t- you know we've had injuries that you know are it's unclear about how severe things are you know so why why not get like the fourth string goalies in on both sides i mean i think I think it should be Mikhail Burden versus Artem team Sagatulin in an all Russian game three matchup. I don't think that's what's <laughs> gonna happen, but it'd be funny.
1: Yeah, there you go. See, I don't don't understand how both of us aren't employed by NHL teams. I think this is gold that we are providing them. Uh, Pike, always fun chatting, sir. Uh, We will chat next Monday. I'm very fascinated to see how everything looks in the land of the Calgary Flames by the time you're back on on Monday.
2: Hey, uh, let's do it this way. Uh, Next Monday, it's either going to be, hooray, the Flames are advancing to the actual playoffs, or... Holy moly, let's roll the dice for uh, sweet, sweet Alexis Lafreniere. So one way or the other, yeah. we're going to have a lot to talk about.
1: Yeah, we're either going to get a scouting report on the Colorado Avalanche or a scouting report on uh, Lafreniere. Well, we'll see how it all goes. Uh, thanks, man. Always fun. Okay, buddy. You too. There is Ryan Pike uh, joining us today on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. We will break three burning questions and then Steinberg joins the program at two here on Sportsnet 960
0: The Fan. It's time to fire it up. These are three burning questions on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: Fire it up indeed. Peter Klein, Logan Gordon, back with you today. Logo, three burning questions. Ask away, sir.
3: You are no longer Peter Klein. You're Jeff Ward. You have to make one lineup change and one only for today's game. What change do you make?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. All right. I, Jeff Ward, going to roll the dice with Austin Zarnick. Checking in the lineup for Johnny, no, I'm kidding. Uh, For Zach Ronaldo, Uh, Ronaldo, the the energy he can bring, the passion that he has really for all things life, but for the sport of hockey in particular, fantastic and love it. But if we're going to be in a a series that's going to go five games, I'm going to need a guy who I can trust to play even one second of the third period. I'm not there with Jankowski, it seems like I'm not there with Ronaldo, so I'm going to go Austin Zarnick. Come on down. You're checking in for game three between the Flames and the Jets.
3: Question two. Oh, no, 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 no,
1: no, 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 no. Question two. I was hoping you you Question would then respond two. with your thought. You are no longer Logan Gordon. You are Martin Gelina, the eliminator.
3: Uh, you know, I like you. the Flames, they play really <laughs> well. That's wait. I mean, that's Bob Hartley.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, we we brought Hartley back in as a consultant. Uh, who would you suggest as your one lineup change for Game Three?
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, it's probably Ronaldo. I th- I think just based on ice time alone, you're not going to have much of an impact when you're playing that little, anyways. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, it's so hard to. I don't. <laughs> For me, I haven't seen anything from Mark Jankowski that makes me think he's going to have any sort of impact. If he does come in, the penalty killing has been okay, and I I can't see that being used as an excuse to bring him in. So if you're gonna if you're gonna do it for me, Zarnick or Quan, you know, give somebody a chance that's really itching to come in and and make an impact. I thought this would be the kind of series that Ronaldo would thrive in in this sort of situation, but uh, he's just not doing it right now.
1: Yeah, it's just he's not out there enough to make an impact, but you also don't trust him enough to put him out there more. So it's a, it's a tough spot. And yeah, like the penalty killing has been fine. They killed off at two minute five on three the other day that that's that, that would tell me the penalty kill is, is doing all right. So I don't think I don't, I don't need Jankowski out there. I would like the speed element, just a little bit more skill that Austin Zarnik can provide. And then, I mean, Zarnik, Ryan reader as a fourth line a lot of speed out there. That, that would be a tough one to contain. I think, you know what? I like the decision we've come to. Good, good work by the coaching staff and everyone involved.
3: Thank you. I'll take full credit for that. <laughs> All uh, right, now question two. Okay, now question two. Uh, six qualifying round games today, PK. Uh, one of them's already finished. One of them's underway. The Preds currently leading the Arizona Coyotes 3-0. Uh, quick side note to this one. Nashville's got 10 shots on goal for half the game, and they're up 3 nothing. Uh, interesting more on that later probably not Um, Four other (laughs) games today you can't pick the flames and jets to watch what game are you focusing on today
1: I'm gonna go Toronto Columbus I want to see how the Leafs are able to bounce back uh, after a frustrating loss as the Columbus Blue Jackets Columbus Blue Jacketed all over the Leafs in that game just that had to be incredibly frustrating for the top players, especially John Tavares for Toronto. So I, I would go, I would go Leafs blue jackets just to see. And part of it is if Columbus goes up to nothing, then the largest city in our fine country is going to absolutely crumble. So that, that would be uh, a little bit hilarious to watch that in real time on, on social media. So I'll, I'll go Leafs blue jackets. What about you?
3: Yeah. Leafs blue jackets is an interesting one today for sure. Cause they were, uh, Everyone very upset that they lost that game by you know a whole one goal and everything. But uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be interested in the Hurricanes and the Rangers first elimination game of mm. the uh, postseason, if you will. The Hurricanes looked real good in game two. Svechnikov with the hat trick. They didn't throw any hats for him. Oh, hat lady. That's a, I that was that was just disrespectful. By the way, oh you know Svechnikov hat trick. Nobody's throwing hats for him. Connor's throwing him. We've got to throw all the hats, all the hats for Connor. Um, uh, I'll be interested to see if the Hurricanes can finish off the Rangers here. I thought New York was going to put up a little bit more of a fight. I picked Carolina in this series. I didn't think it would be a sweep, but uh, it could be over uh, tonight. That one at 6 o'clock uh, caught my eye.
1: Yeah, I, I thought this series would be a little bit closer. And then you watch game one, it's like, oh, Carolina's just better. Like the, the, this isn't uh this isn't an X's and O's. This isn't okay, well, if this does is, is oh no, 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 no. Carolina's better at the sport of hockey than the New York Rangers are. And that's just what this series comes down to. Too much talent, too much skill. Carolina, I, I think they get the sweep in today. Panarin looked better for the Rangers, but still it wasn't enough. So I'm I elimination game for the first time in a long time when we have a team with their back up against the wall. We'll see how the Rangers respond today. So that's a pretty solid pick.
3: And, uh, last one for you, Connor McDavid scores a absolutely silly goal last night. Oh. Uh, the second of three for him on the night. Uh, hard to ask this question, but cause he, he kind of does this all the time, but is that goal an all time great goal for you? Or is it just another Connor McDavid, uh, One on the highlight reel. Uh,
1: I I think that that can go in the the all-time category. The problem, like like you said, he does it so much where he just gets a step on guys and then goes. I I think it was an exhibition game, so it's not going to get a ton of talk. I thought that goal he scored against the Flames didn't get nearly enough uh, people buzzing about it. Blows by a defenseman who blew a tire, but still he was going to get there eventually. And then no look shoots it in looking off the entire time, slides at five hole. Like That is just absolute silliness. I still think the one against Toronto is probably the best one, but th- this one certainly ranks high up there. So while it does kind of feel like, oh, it's just another Connor McDavid being Connor McDavid, this one was special. So I'll, I'll put it in all-timer category. What about you?
3: Yeah, I think so, especially when you look at the play as a whole where he knocks it down with like the, he flips the stick around to get the the point of stick going the other way and then just does what he does. Like, I don't know that there's another person on the planet that can do what he does at that speed. And that backhand, he makes it look so easy. But there's just yeah. there's so little space between the shoulder and the crossbar. And it's like he's shooting, you know, forehand. Uh, but he's just going 100 miles an hour on his backhand. It's unbelievable. And I, I think I, I was probably asked the question because I I caught myself last night being like, oh, that's just what Connor does. And then you watch and you go, holy Man, that's, that's actually pretty remarkable that you just do that all the time.
1: Yeah, you have to appreciate, and I get the whole Edmonton-Calgary thing, and I love making fun of Oilers fans, but you have to appreciate how special that kid is and how special the play that is. And the, the Blackhawks aren't the, the cream of the crop or anything like that, but this is still a, a play-in round. This isn't just like, oh, hey, game one of 82 – Look at that! Scored another goal. This is that's a big game and a big goal for the Edmonton Oilers in that game as they pick up a much needed win in game two. So the the importance of it, I think, adds to it too. Just off the top of your head now, what what is do you think the best goal of all time? Um, man,
3: I'm sure that, Ovechkin one. Yeah, that was where, where, he, where I, where I immediately went. He,
1: that that's the first one I think of.
3: Because, and I'm sure that i like, I know there's going to be so many people that probably have their own ones and then. I'm just disrespecting their version of the greatest goal of all time. I mean, for that one, just to have the body control and the wherewithal to find the puck while he's falling like that, to me, is up there. But that McDavid one, at the speed he did it as, is he knocks it down and goes in and just makes it look so easy. You know, how many examples does he have that's up there? For me, the Ovechkin one stands out, but I'm sure there's a, a lot that fall in that category.
1: Yeah. And also just, you know, have to be homers and whatnot, but kachuk between the legs against the predators. Like to do that in overtime at the speed he's doing it with, that that's a that's a pretty good one that's too. Gonna so be, that's
4: gonna be better than James Neal's goal against Pittsburgh when it was nine-nothing. <laughs> like that is one of the greatest goals. You got me to I've turn you on seen. for this. Come no, actually, I, I was like, you got you're gonna so there's there's Bobby Orr's uh Stanley Cup winning goal against the Blues. That's not gonna make it into the greatest goals of all time. Or or remember the the suit goal where he kind of like he the he, the penalty shot yeah where he kind of yeah. do penalty shots count or shootout goals count can, like what about if they
3: do then Merrick Malik I was gonna say Merrick Malik's gotta be <laughs> but that Datsuk Just one he's where Merrick Malik
4: he's moving forward but the puck's moving backwards the craziest thing I've ever seen I, I think that Datsuk goal has got to be
3: it for me or the Kucherov yeah. one where he's sliding it through
4: Someone, guys.
1: Someone texting it in, and this one actually might be my pick now. But Mario Lemieux, where he skates through the entire state of Minnesota and ends up scoring after drop kicking the goalie and the balls, I think that one might be up there too.
4: Yep, but I still think James Neal.
1: Yeah, James. Well, on the one last night, also uh, a real contender. The the <laughs> skill and the poise that he had to put that into the empty net. Oh, uh, I mean, he did. He
4: did steal it at the very least. Like at least he showed right. good instincts.
1: Yeah, he did steal it from the goalie who whiffed on it entirely. So uh, congratulations to him. I, I thought uh, I was going to leave the nine-one goal completely out because otherwise it's just not fair, right? You know, like it's it'd be boring if we oh who's the greatest hockey player of all time? Wayne Gretzky. Next, like that's that that's not a discussion. Fair. So I, I thought leave it out just to give other ones a bit of an opportunity. Fair enough. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for the program. Excellent questions, Logan. You heard Pat Steinberg. It is after 2 o'clock, so completely justified in coming into the show. He will join the show in a more formal setting next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
0: Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, gentlemen, I can
4: tell you that the uh, temperature of this series, at least in this city, from those who cheer for the Calgary Flames, not super optimistic. Really nice effort on Saturday night. I thought one of the better playoff games the Flames have played in recent mem- uh, recent memory, recent vintage on Saturday. But it kind of got all overshadowed by the post-game war of words between the two teams. And Matthew Kachuk and Mark Scheifele and then Paul Maurice and, and Jeff Ward, so on and so forth. That kind of distracted on top of a long weekend from what was a really really positive outing for the Flames and then they come out yesterday on the holiday Monday in a 12:30 start and i want to say for about 52 53 minutes of that hockey game were very very flat and now it's a 1-1 series tie and now there is uh, quite the sense of here we go again and that was probably the overwhelming theme of our overtime call show last night that went about two and a half hours and, and a little bit less than that. But that, that was the overwhelming theme, here we go again. And everything that I've seen, not everything, but lots of what I've seen on our text line and on social media has been very similar about here we go again. So I understand it. I get it. But I'm curious if that's fair in your minds right now. If you're listening right now and to uh, to Logan and Kleiner, I wonder if that's fair. Should it be Here We Go Again or... Should we be more on the side of it's only one game, there's still at least two more to go in this series. That in a second, but first let's bring you back to yesterday from Roger's Place in Edmonton. Game two of this best of five set between the Flames and the Jets. It's time for yesterday's Game in a Minute. Game in a Minute, brought to you by Hyatt Infinity, Calgary's original infinity destination. Own one and you'll understand. Hyatt Infinity on Luxury Lane. Empower the drive. Today, live from Rogers Place in the
5: Western Conference, hub city of Edmonton, it's game two of a best of five qualification round series between Matthew Kachuk and the Calgary Flames and Blake Wheeler and the Winnipeg Jets. Lowry will skip it ahead. Moving in, here's Harkins with a shot. He scores. In his Stanley Cup playoff debut, Jansen Harkins rips a shot over the left shoulder of Cam Talbot. Just under the crossbar, just inside the goal post. Malo picks the puck up and gives it to the others, but he gives it away to Lindholm. Lindholm shoots and scores! Elias Lindholm snaps the puck past Carter Halibut. And the Flames have cut the Jets eight and half to 2-1. to one. Bennett with a shot stop, big rebound. Bennett tries to wrap around, bouncing puck, they score! Sam Bennett somehow, someway... Jabs the pocket of the jet stand. Flames looking for a 3-2 lead. Here's Backman with a shot, and what a trapper stop by Hellebuyck. Racing in, here comes Connor. Connor alone to the back backhand, robbed by Talbot. A spectacular ten bell save. Connor back to the right going to Peon with a shot through traffic. They score. And it is 23rd career Stanley Cup playoff game. Nikolai Ehlers finally scores his first postseason goal. Redirecting that shot past Cam Talbot. Time runs out of the flames in game two of this best of five. Stanley Cup qualifier. The Jets, even the series at
4: one with a hard-fought 3-2 win. Game in a minute. Brought to you by Hyatt Infinity. Calgary's original infinity destination. Own one and you'll understand. Hyatt Infinity on luxury Lane. Empower the drive. And hello to the gang over at Hyatt Infinity. I strongly re- uh, strongly recommend you uh, go in and say hi if you've got some free time and you're in the market for a new or used vehicle. Guys, do you get where anxious Flames fans are coming from after the first two games of this series? Or is the doom and gloom a little too much? Because for me, as much as I am very much still balancing it with yes, there's only It was only one game. If they play like they did in game one today, then they're right back in control of the series. And I, I'm balancing it all with that. But at the same time, Klein, I understand if you're a Flames fan, if you're starting to think to yourself, oh boy, we've seen this script before. Is it playing out in front of us? I don't blame a Flames fan if they're feeling a little anxious right now.
1: No, I don't blame them either. And I... I still think the Flames have a really good chance in this series, but you had an opportunity yesterday to really put the Jets against the ropes with their two best players, not just two of their best players. I would suggest well when line A is on, their two best players aren't in the lineup, and you still falter and still put out the effort that they did. So it, it, it very much looked like games of playoff pass for the Calgary Flames. So I have... No problem with fans having the here we go again look at, at this thing. I, I wasn't, I, I guess I'm there a little bit. I, I was just more frustrated than, oh, here we go again. It's just like, why? Why why did you have to play like that with the opportunity that you had? So for me, it's frustration. But for, for other fans, if they want to go, here we go again, I do not blame them even a little bit. Logo, what about you?
3: Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, especially after the performance in, in game one, I think, Everyone, you know, and that sets the tone for the rest of the series, and it kind of sets your expectations so high, and then they just underperform so much compared, you know, from one game to to the next, that's, you know, I think it's fair and kind of, you know, okay to feel that way if you're a Flames fan, because you saw how good they could be in game one, and they had that never quit attitude and they just kept pounding and they kept doing everything. And just all the good things that happened in game one didn't happen in game two. And that's kind of the script that happened in Colorado or against Colorado last year. And you're hoping, you know, it was all about learning lessons and moving forward this season. And it just so far seemed, and even in two games that it hadn't happened. And look, this is a, this is a five game series. Whoever wins today, has the stranglehold on the series going forward? It's it happens that fast, and to have a game where I think if any of us had said, you know, before the series, look, you're going to have at least one game, maybe two, uh, where Shifley and Liney aren't going to play, you'd be expected to win those games, right? Uh, you know, hands down, no questions asked, sort of thing. So I, I think it's fair for fans to feel that way. I don't think it's an overreaction.
4: Uh, welcome to hour two of the program. It is Pinder and Steinberg, a very wee mini edition of the program today. My name is Pat Steinberg. He's Peter Klein, and he's Logan Gordon on a Calgary Flames game day. Brought to you by Country Hills Toyota. Uh, the Flames and the uh, the Flames and the Winnipeg Jets for game number three of this series tonight. Uh, hey, look. I, I understand why it was a little flat yesterday. Let's get the text line at 960960. Flames roundtable in just a second, but first, a few texts. Uh, coaches and leaders tell the players, don't get too high, don't get too low. Why don't, Flame, why don't Flames fans and regular flan, fans follow the same suit? Everyone just relax. Uh, this reads... Yeah, where's they, the fun in that? Uh, fair point. If they lose tonight with <laughs> the same effort as yesterday, definitely in the here-we-go-again camp. But what do I know? I'm just a regular dude. Yeah, we're also just regular dudes. I don't know about regular, uh, but we're we're strange dudes, but mostly normal. <laughs> um, yeah. Pat, yeah, it sucks. They couldn't seize the opportunity with two big guys out, but it's only the second real game since they've been off for months. There will be some rust, and we could even see that from the Jets this afternoon. Uh, I just think there are more intangibles at play here in saying same old team, this early isn't fair. Still, uh, still sucks, though. Uh, this reads, it's here we go again because all expected it before they did it again until they show us something unexpected it will always be here we go again uh this read the flames played well enough to win and showed character in the comeback so i don't necessarily think here we go again they got some bad breaks on penalties in the third and when that happens it sucks away any momentum with every call it's important they play mistake free and smart tonight as to not put themselves in a bad position, and I believe if they do, they will win this series. So there's a few texts at 960-960. Puck drop today is at 4.45 p.m. Our pregame show gets going at 3.30 p.m. right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It's Pat Steinberg, Peter Klein, Logan Gordon. Uh, We're trying to hook up with a third member of our Daily Flames roundtable. we got to get to it anyway. It's time for our Daily Flames roundtable. Daily Calgary Flames roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, Once-in-a-lifetime hail means a very special opportunity to purchase a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van. Choose from 42 options. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, minutes from the Calgary Airport. Okay, so let's start here, and we'll get uh, Derek on with us as soon as we can connect with him. Um, But here's the first question. Pat Steinberg, Peter Klein, and soon-to-be Derek Wills in our Daily Flames Roundtable. My big question, guys, did the Flames miss an opportunity last night. Did the Flames miss an opportunity with no Mark Scheifele and no Patrick Laine to really take control in a big way of this series?
1: Yes, they they did. There is absolutely no questioning that. We can talk about whether it's time to panic or whether it's here we go again or if people are overreacting or what, but I I don't think there is any disputing that that was a gigantic opportunity missed by the Calgary Flames yesterday. With no Shifley, no Line A, you saw the impact that losing Shifley had on the the Jets in Game 1, where after the second period... It really seemed to take a lot of the wind out of their sails. And then to lose Line A, just two extremely dangerous offensive weapons. Shifley, an incredibly dynamic player. Line a with one of the best shots in the league. To take both of those away from the Jets. And you look at how that made them juggle guys having to come out. Um, and you move Cop up to the top line. Andrew Cop is a fine player. First line center on a playoff team, he is not. And to to not be able to take advantage of that in a best of five, I think is a big missed opportunity. I I can't come on for a couple of weeks and say – Every game is going to be crucial. Every decision is going to be crucial. This series is so close. And then when you have an opportunity like that and you miss, go, ah, it's just one game, they'll bounce back. Because I think that's a, just a gigantic chance for the Flames to really put your foot on the throat in this series, and they didn't do it.
4: Uh, Derek Wills with us now, radio voice of the Calgary Flames. The first question was, did the Flames miss an opportunity last night not being able to close out a victory knowing who was missing from the Jets lineup
5: well of course they did I mean you take three of uh teams top 12 forwards out two of their top six forwards their number one centerman and their number two right winger and two guys who are an important part of their power play and yeah that's a missed opportunity for a Flames team that is healthy and you hope that they don't look back at Uh, this series when it's over and and regret not being able to capitalize on a banged up Jets team in game two but uh, I hope it was a wake-up call for the Flames if they thought game one was easy and that game two might be easier without Trifley and Line and to a lesser extent Appleton well they learned the hard way that it wasn't going to be and you know I think on the flip side you know it wouldn't have been hard for Paul Maurice to convince all of his players that they had to All be a little bit, maybe even a lot better in game two than they were in game one, both because of what happened in game one and because they were without those three forwards. Uh, So, you know, the Jets, I give them full credit because they dug in, they played the right way, and they found a way to win a game against a more talented, uh, a healthier, and a deeper hockey team. So let's see how the Flames respond uh, to that loss. Uh, I know that they're probably anxious to get back at it, and I think it's probably a good thing for the team that they only had, uh, what, 16 hours between games instead of having to wait uh, a day or more.
4: I, I'm i with both you guys. I, I think they missed a, a fairly significant opportunity. I don't know if Shifley or Laine will play again in this series. I don't know if either of those guys will play tonight in, in game number three, but we know for sure that they didn't play last night or yesterday afternoon. We know for sure that they were out for game two. And and for me, all the Flames needed to do was put their work boots on and execute their details the same way they did in game one. I thought game one was one of the best playoff games we've seen from the Calgary Flames in recent memory. And, and one of the best from... I. I I consider this core as it is right now uh, to this be this being their third playoff year, the year against the Ducks, the year against the Avalanche, and and this year. Because I, I find that first year the entire core wasn't together. Giordano was hurt. It was year one for Gaudreau. It was year two for Monaghan. Kachuk wasn't here, so on and so forth. So I really kind of look at the core. If you put Lindholm and Hannafin into the mix there, kind of the, the last three playoffs for me are the ones that I really judge on. And of all the games they've played since 2019, 2017's postseason. I think Saturday was their best playoff performance. And I'm not saying that you can carbon copy that one game to the next but to do the things that made you successful two games in a row is not too much to ask and i just didn't feel like any of those details were executed the same way in game two as they were in game one so that's why i think it was a real golden missed opportunity not just because of who was out of the jets lineup but because of what the flames were able to accomplish in game number one and the fact they didn't do a lot of the things to accomplish those goals again a couple days later
5: Yeah, I mean, if they play the same way in Game 3 that they did in Game 1, I like their chances to take a 2-1 series lead and push the Jets to the brink of elimination. But if they play the same way in Game 3 that they played in Game 2, then Flames might be facing elimination on Thursday night. Uh, I thought coming into the series that goaltending was going to be an advantage for the Jets. I, I don't think that it's been an advantage for either team through two games in this series. I thought that defense would be an advantage for the Flames. I've got to give the Jets' defensemen credit both for what they did during the regular season and and what they've done so far in in this qualifying round series. I think that you know Paul Maurice has been able to squeeze uh, a lot of juice out of an orange that didn't appear to have much in it. And up front, uh, the Flames are, to me, clearly the more talented team when you subtract Shifley and Line, and, again, to a lesser extent, Appleton. So when you look at these two teams on paper, I think the Flames definitely have a skill advantage right now. But... As Peter Lobardius has pointed out a handful of times over the last few days, it's been more about will than skill to this point in the qualifying round. So if the Flames' will matches their skill, then I think they're going to win game three tonight. But if the Jets are the more desperate team in game three, like they were Mm -hmm. in game two, then uh, it could go either way.
4: It's our Daily Calgary Flames Roundtable. He's Derek Wills. He's Peter Klein. My name is Pat Steinberg. On this Game 3 Tuesday, 445 puck drop between the Flames and the Winnipeg Jets. Guys, would you make any lineup changes for today's Game 3? And if so, what would those lineup changes be?
5: Well, what was the one thing that Zach Ronaldo couldn't do?
4: Take a really bad penalty.
5: Yeah. Uh, I mean, he played just over three minutes in Game 1. He played just over four minutes in Game 2. Discipline has been a problem not only for the Flames but for a lot of teams with the way games are being called to this point in the Stanley Cup qualifiers. So, I would take a long look at making a change on the fourth line. Uh, If I was going to take Zach Ronaldo out, I think I would lean towards putting Alan Quine in. He has experience, played really well for the Islanders back in the 2016 Stanley Cup playoffs. He's a guy who I think the coaches trust and can chip in offensively. And if he doesn't do that, I think. They feel like they can rely on them defensively. I think you can play them more minutes than the the three-plus and four-plus that Ronaldo played in games one and two, and maybe that gives you uh, an opportunity to to roll four lines, which is something the Jets are going to have trouble with without potentially three of their top 12 forwards from game one. So I would look long and hard at, at taking Zach Ronaldo out and putting Alan Quine in, and if it's not Quine, then they do have some other options. If uh, you want to add a guy who could potentially help you score some goals, I think Austin Zarnik would be an option. If uh, you want to move Sam Bennett to the wing, I don't know what they're going to do with their third and fourth lines for game three, but if you want to move him to the wing, you can bring Mark Jankowski back in. Byron Fraze is an option. Buddy Robinson is an option. So they do have some options, but if I was Jeff Ward, I would probably take Zach Ronaldo out and put Alan Quine in.
1: Yeah, at this point, uh, Ronaldo, what he can provide with the intensity and the emotion and, and the aggressiveness on the forecheck... It's being outweighed, and and if you just if you can't trust the guy in the third period, then bring someone else in. And uh, I, to me, that person is Austin Zarnick. Uh, that that's the way I would go over a, or just over a point per game in the American Hockey League this season. He doesn't quite have the playoff experience that Derek was talking about with Quine, but I, I still think you put him with Ryan. And with Reader on that fourth line. That's a ton of speed to have to deal with on a fourth line. And I, I like what he can bring to this team offensively, and that there's been a, a bit of offense lacking five on five with this group right now. And I think being able to have a, a bit more of a dynamic and a lot more speed on that fourth line would just make them a little bit more difficult to defend.
4: I, uh, first of all, I. I think what most likely will happen is kind of what you guys have kicked around, whether it's, I think Jankowski would be the most likely, just off the top of my head because he's the one that they know the most, but whether it's Jankowski or Quine or Zarnik, I think one of those changes would be most likely um, if they were to make a change, but here's what I would do, and I thought a lot about this, I and, and I don't think they will do this, uh, but here's what I would do. I, I, would, br- I would go 7D and 11 forwards. Um, because I, I really, really did not, I have not liked the third pairing at all in either game at five on five. Derek Forbert and Eric Gustafson need to have their ice time at five on five limited. And I understand that you can't necessarily take them out of the lineup because Forbert plays a big role on the penalty kill and Gustafson's the quarterback of the number one power play in it. So if, if you are entrenched with those two guys on special teams, then sure, keep them in the lineup. But I, I think you need a steady rotation on that third pairing. I, I, because right now I don't trust either of them at five on five Forbert has been a disaster defensively. We already knew that Gustafson is is a guy that does not do well defensively. Every time at five on five, it seems like that the Jets have had a cycle shift down low. It's been with that pairing on the ice. So I think the fourth line needs some help, but I need the third. I think the third pairing needs some help as well. And if you don't want to take those guys out, a way that you might be able to. Um, might, might be able to switch things up a little bit is by going by, uh, going with seven defensemen. Gustafson can play both sides. You can maybe rotate some different pairings in when you need to and really rely on your top four guys. That's, that's what I would do. I would take Ronaldo out and I would put, whether it's Shillington or for me, it would most likely be Stone. Um, I, I'd probably go in that direction just to limit the amount of five-on-five time guys like Gustafson and Forbert are playing. Because I, I, at this point, what I've seen through two games, I don't trust him.
5: Yeah, I've brought up dressing seven defensemen and 11 forwards with Jeff Ward before, and it didn't really sound like something he was interested yeah, in Yeah, I doing. don't
4: think they're going to do it, but that's just Yeah, I mean. I mean, yeah, things
5: change. Uh, and I mean, I, I think you make a valid point, especially when you look at game two. Uh, game one, I, I certainly like the the work that Gustavson did on the power play and that Foreboar did on the penalty kill. And with the amount of special teams play there's been at this point, not only in the Flames versus Jets series, but really in most of the series, uh, you have to assume that's going to continue. And, and if you subtract one or two guys who are a big part of one or both sides of your special teams, I think that could put you in a tough spot. But with the number of penalties the Flames have had to kill off, and I do think discipline might be, if not the biggest key, then certainly one of the keys for them in game three against the Jets today. Maybe Jankowski does become an option because uh, Jeff Ward certainly does trust Mark Jankowski on the penalty kill. You you can limit his ice time five on five if you want. I'm not sure you have to. If he's playing to his potential, then uh, maybe you can play him uh, eight, 10, 12 minutes in in this game tonight if he gets in. But they've got some good options. I think about how well Austin Zarnik played in game five against the Avalanche last year when the Hmm. Flames scratched James Neal. He had an opportunity. I thought he was one of the better forwards for the Flames in a game where there weren't a lot of very good forwards or players, period, uh, in a lopsided loss to the Avalanche. But he played pretty well, so maybe that was a bit of an audition for him. But it'll be interesting to see what they do. And uh, once again, with no morning skates and and very little information coming from either of the two teams that will be playing at 445 Mountain Time this afternoon, uh, all eyes will be on warm-up at Rogers place at Edmonton as we try to figure out who's in and who's out, not only for the Jets, uh, Shifley, Line A, Appleton, are they in or out, uh, but also for the Flames and if they're going to make one or more changes for this game.
4: All right, Mr. Wills, uh, drive safely. We will see you shortly and uh, looking forward to puck drop between the Flames and the Jets. Thank you, pal. Thank you. Daily Calgary Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Once-in-a-lifetime hail means a very special opportunity to purchase a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van. Choose from 42 options. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, minutes from the Calgary Airport. All right, let's take a closer look at this series from a Jets perspective. We're catching up with Ken Weeb from Sportsnet Winnipeg. He's in Edmonton for tonight's Game 3. He joins us next as we continue on Pinder and Steinberg. It's a mini-edition on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
0: Pinder and Steinberg, right now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Our
4: good friend Ken Weeb from sportsnet.ca in Winnipeg has been covering this series from Rogers Place in Edmonton as we get set for game three of the Flames and the Winnipeg Jets. You can catch uh, Ken live on Sportsnet at the top of the hour and now live with us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. Uh, Mr. Weeb. we talked before and after yesterday's game, uh, but just wanted to bring you back to game two and Again, uh, when I talked to you in the post-game show yesterday, we both agreed on the word gutsy, and it was just a really hard-fought and, and pretty, and I, I'll use it again, gutsy win for the Winnipeg Jets in game two.
6: Yeah, absolutely. They had to dig deep. Uh, you can throw all the cliches that you like out there, and they came up with a very impressive effort. They needed to respond physically, I think. They were out hit and kind of out-willed at times by the Flames in game one, and they responded in game two, They were much more disciplined, with the exception of the Ehlers penalty, and overall it was just a a typical Jets effort. They had contributions throughout the lineup, Uh, unsung hero in Jansen Harkins, Adam Lowry continues to be the best forward for the Jets, and and Nikolai Ehlers uh, with a big goal for him to break that long, uh, scoreless streak in the postseason.
4: Let's ask the million-dollar question, which I know we don't have a definitive answer to and won't for another couple of hours, but... Do you think there's a chance any anyone of Mark Scheifele, Patrick Laine, or Mason Appleton get back in the lineup for tonight's Game 3?
6: I do think there's a chance, but I would say I wouldn't bet a whole lot. Of, I wouldn't throw a whole lot down on it, that's for sure. Uh, I would say I would expect the same lineup for the Jets. If one of those guys can go, it's an obvious shot in the arm for them. I'm not expecting Scheifele. I would say there'd be a, maybe an outside chance for Laine or Appleton, depending on the severity of the injury, obviously, but... I'm expecting the Jets to run with the same lineup, and the one thing I would say, if if you're the Flames, uh, the thing for them is that Connor Hellebuck was steady, but he didn't have to steal the game yesterday. So you expect a Vesna Trophy candidate to steal one game in the series for sure, mm-hmm. and that that that's why the Flames would have looked at yesterday as
4: a missed opportunity. So how did the Jets get the job done? What changed from game one to game two, knowing that they were without two really key members of their top six forwards? Yeah, for sure, Pat. The biggest difference the Jets got back to their speed game. They're a skating hockey
6: team. Yes, there is going to be some physical play for sure, but they're a skilled team and they did a better job of making life a little bit more difficult for Cam Talbot, who I thought was very good. I thought Talbot was solid, especially when the Jets took the lead. Talbot left it at two to nothing or kept it there so that the Flames could have a rally Uh, goaltending very good, but the Jets kind of got things going, they were a little better on the power play, not great, but they were able to get the game winner when it mattered, so off a little bit of a greasy play, uh, Ehlers getting to the net, so that was really basically the only change I mean, they they didn't blow you away, but uh, the Jets are familiar with grinding out victories, and That's what they did in game two. Well,
4: it's kind of funny. I was, I was re-listening to Paul Maurice and his post-game address yesterday. He said, we kind of had this three week, two week honeymoon period with, with training camp and everybody healthy, but you know, game one hits and it's just back to what they've known to, to lose key players and to be without important contributors to the lineup. That's, that's what has been the story of this season for Winnipeg. So for them to react positively to it, shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who's paid attention to their year.
6: Yeah, bang on, Pat. And I think that's what the national audience is starting to learn when they start to to read down the list of people uh, that either weren't here or were injured or uh, had to play without them in the lineup. I mean, it's an eye-opener for many. But for the Jets, I mean, it's too casual to say it was just another day at the office because they hadn't had to face the circumstance with two of their top four scorers, mind you. But, I mean, it's adversity. (laughs) Paul laughed about it. He said at one point he's thinking you got to be kidding me. We've overcome all of this in March. Now the season's not going to com- be completed. Uh, for them, they felt like they were able to navigate some really turbulent waters. And because they were able to do that throughout the year, they feel comfortable in a situation like this. I mean, I, you guys heard it. I mean, <laughs> Adam Lowry's answer was incredible. Uh, when, when, uh, when the suggestion was made that it, would be, it was an unlikely victory given the circumstances, Adam Lowry kind of scoffed and said, unlikely we've got the best goalie in the NHL and look at the look at our five forwards and look at the team that we have I mean Mm. unlikely to a degree sure but when you have those other ingredients uh, you give yourself a chance to win every night so again even Steven series still I think both teams have high end players that need to play a little bit better in this series I think for the Jets Kyle Connor needs to elevate his game a little bit more you know uh, noticeable yesterday with the four shots on goal he was stopped on the breakaway by Talbot but this is a 38-goal scorer, guys. 73 points, and he's got no points in the series. So same for Matthew Chuck He's been incredibly noticeable. Drawing penalties, doing a lot of great things, but he's their leading scorer, and in a series where not a lot of goals have been scored, he's got to get himself going on the board today as well.
4: Ken Weeb's with us, sportsnet.ca, Winnipeg. He's covering the Jets and this best-of-five play-in-round series between the Flames and the Jets. Game number three coming your way in about two hours' time. We talked last night after the game about how much that goal meant to Nikolai Ehlers, so let's advance the story. After he snapped a 22-game playoff goalless drought yesterday with the game-winning goal, what what could this do for Ehlers going forward for the rest of the series or the rest of, of the playoffs for the Jets?
6: Yeah, it's a huge weight lifted off his shoulders, and again, I mentioned, he's handled things well and confronted the situation and kept saying repeatedly that when I'm not – Scoring, I have to find other ways to contribute, and he's done that. But if you're a goal scorer, especially a streaky goal scorer like Ehlers, and especially with the guys that are out for the Jets in terms of their high-end skill, this could really help him go off. I mean, he's a guy that could put together uh, a scary stretch, which is what Blake Wheeler suggested. And I love the honesty of Wheeler. I mean, talking quite openly about (laughs) you guys—you guys in the media—don't know what it's like to constantly be asked about not being able to produce. So for me, even though Ehlers handle it well mentally, I think there's a huge opportunity for him to really go off in the series. I had him as my X factor going into the series, and I'm certainly not going to change my pick based on what happened yesterday.
4: Andrew Kopp moves up to replace Mark Scheifele on that line with Connor and with Wheeler. Tell us a little bit more about Kopp and why he was seemingly the easy choice for Paul Maurice to slide into that spot.
6: Yeah, you know what? Just so conscientious defensively. He's a very smart player. He has an offensive Uh, side of his game as well even though he's not necessarily a natural finisher uh Maurice kind of hinted at it the day before where he talked about wheeler's really good in a series where there's a kind of zone time but because there's been so limited uh extended periods of offensive zone time in the series wheeler's probably more effective on the wall because of how aggressive the flames are in pinching down against those wingers so to move Kopp into the middle there was a natural uh fit i thought he played well i really did a nice job but Again, that that also allows Adam Lowry to kind of spread his wings a little bit too. I mean, those guys are excellent together as checkers, but uh, Lowry has really elevated his game a notch. I mean, it's been a frustrating season for Adam. Uh, A couple of injuries, limited to 49 games, only had 10 points. He's always a guy that gives you more than just shows up on the score sheet but he's been the Jets' best forward in, the, in these playoffs for sure, and a physical force and contributing offense as well, which is what you need, and also producing on that offensive side as well.
4: Paul Maurice gave a great clip yesterday about Lowry's line mate in the game yesterday, Jansen Harkins, who played his first-ever yeah. NHL playoff game and scored his first-ever NHL playoff goal to open the scoring. Tell us a little bit more about Harkins and, and why, for Jets fans, he's such an easy guy to get behind.
6: Oh, no doubt, Pat. And it, it, incredible story. I mean, it's not like he toiled in the ECHL for a long time, but when you're a second-round draft pick and you look up and you find yourself on a bus in Jacksonville with the Icemen, you're probably looking around saying, whoa, how did, I under, how did I end up here? You guys know Jansen Harkins was an elite player in the Western Hockey League, a high draft pick, projected for a while to be a first-rounder, so... That was probably a bit of an eye-opener for him, but he handled it perfectly. He did the work. And here's a guy who, had, before this year, did not have a sniff of even a recall, let alone getting into a game. Uh, he just worked incredibly hard. He was dominant in the AHL this year. He had a great camp. Great quote by Paul Maurice on Sunday as well about how he was pissing off the veterans with his extra effort in training camp and here's a guy trying to prove himself or these other guys are trying to coast and get ready for game exhibition game seven perkins knows that he may not be around for exhibition game seven so uh just an incredible you know hard worker he's very smart studious loves the game a really deep thinker uh great hockey iq and as you saw sh- as you saw with that shot uh boy oh boy he's got some offensive finishing ability as well and uh, he really gave them a boost on that third line.
4: Two more for you, Weaver. First of all, you mentioned Connor Hellebuck a little earlier, but what have you seen from him so far? How how would you evaluate Hellebuck's play through the first two games?
6: Uh, he, he's been steady, Pat. I think he's been good. I don't think he's had to be exceptional yet, so th- that's why I say, I think it would be that part of the equation could be a little bit scary for Flames fans. Uh Hellebuck was excellent in game one in game two. I don't think the flames made him work hard enough. It's the same way I thought about cam Talbot in game one. He was steady, made the important saves, but I don't think the jets made him work hard enough. So I think the tables kind of just shifted uh, in terms of which team needs to make the other goalie work harder. And I think there's going to be uh, a, a lot bigger effort for the flames to be getting traffic in that in and around that blue paint of Connor Hellebuck today. And I, I'd be willing to bet a significant portion of uh, financing to guess at at least one of those players who's going to be uh hanging around that real estate today and that'll be Matthew Kachuk
4: yeah number 19 red absolutely final thought for you what's your feel what happens tonight in game three how do you see this one going
6: well uh my colleagues on uh, media row would probably not like it but I think we're getting overtime today I think yesterday I almost had that sense yesterday that the flames with that late power play uh, we might be heading to overtime there. But I think today's the day that we go a couple extra periods. And uh, again, it's not exactly going out on a limb, but whoever wins tonight <laughs> wins the series for me. So uh, tough to tell right now who would have the edge for me. I'm going to, I think the Jets win today because Hellebuck is going to stand on his head and he'll have to.
4: Weber, great stuff as always. Maybe we'll catch up post game. Definitely we'll talk ahead of Game 4 on Thursday. You're a good man. Thank you, pal. Have
6: a great show, Patty. Thanks, man. Take
4: care. Ken Weeb on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Catch his stuff covering this series. More from a Jets perspective at sportsnet.ca. Uh, Ken Wiebe from Sportsnet joining us this afternoon as we continue on a wee mini edition of Pinder and Steinberg. Flames warm-up is 40 minutes away on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
0: Back to Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
4: Rapid-fire segment with Peter Klein, Logan Gordon, and Pat Steinberg. Guys, uh, Kleiner, both you and I took the Panthers to beat the Islanders. Uh, Panthers on the ropes now, down 0-2. Islanders have beat them in both games today, 4-2. Jordan Eberle, a couple of goals to help the Islanders to a 4-2 win over the Panthers, now up two games to none. I didn't give the Isles enough credit. They continue to exceed all expectations, and they're doing it again.
1: Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And from the Panthers, they're going to need Sergei Bobrovsky to remember how to be a real good goalie real quick, because he is (laughs) fighting it right now.
4: All season long, Logo. Uh, I I thought the Arizona Coyotes had a real chance to beat the Nashville Predators in this series. I didn't think it was going to be a quick series. Uh, Looks like the Predators are going to even this series. It is uh, one game apiece or will be very shortly. Preds lead 4-0 in game two late in period number three. Preds bouncing back in a big way, and that shouldn't surprise anybody because that's kind of what they did all season long. Every, Every time the Predators looked like they were going to go away, they'd always respond. They just had trouble keeping it consistent, but they're going to tie this series at a game apiece.
3: Yeah, this is kind of the interesting series as far as the West is concerned because you're not really sure where this one was going to go. The Coyotes come out and shock everybody in, in game one, I think, to a degree, and then all of a sudden there's these questions around Nashville, and they just come out today and respond in kind by, you know, handling Arizona and doing exactly what they do. So tied at one, you can go from anywhere, you can go anywhere from here now. And finally, the Toronto Maple Leafs have now gone four straight periods,
4: uh, 80 straight minutes in postseason hockey without a goal. They got 15 shots on goal in period number one, but scoreless in game two between the Maple Leafs and the Blue Jackets. Klanner, I heard you talking about a little earlier, <laughs> like, goodness gracious, if the Maple Leafs lose game two, that, that city's going to implode. Or at the very least, anybody who cheers for the Maple Leafs are because we know how rational that group of fans is
1: hmm. Yeah, there isn't a whole lot of, well, just got to take it one game at a time. You know, you can't win three games in one night. It's going to be our pets. Heads are falling off. Everything is awful. This pets is terrible. Fire Babcock. <laughs> yeah, Fire Babcock. Yeah, exactly. Um, all the the discussions on in Toronto media. Unfortunately for us, I think this is the first part of a back to back like the the Flames and Jets are dealing with. So we wouldn't have the full 48 hours of people's heads exploding. But no, the, this is as must win as it gets for the Toronto Maple Leafs today. What uh,
3: number will Alexei Lafreniere wear in Toronto Maple Leafs? No, stop it. Jeez. 11? Stop it. Which number is not retired? <laughs>
4: Uh, two other games still to come. Six o'clock. Can the hurricane sweep the Rangers? We'll find out. They lead two games to none and can the Canucks draw even with the Wild? We'll find out at eight forty five, latest game that we've seen yet. Eight forty five for Canucks and Wild game number two. Kleiner, have yourself a wonderful Tuesday. Enjoy the games tonight.
1: You too, buddy. Cheers.
4: Uh, Coming up next, our NHL insider Chris Johnston is the NHL news just keeps on getting better. We'll tell you how and why in just a few minutes. Pinder and Steinberg with our final segment next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time to check in with our NHL insider Chris Johnston, who joins us on Tuesdays and Thursdays here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the program. Pat Steinberg along with you. Bottom of the hour, 3:30. Calgary Flames warm-up. We're getting you set for the Flames and the Winnipeg Jets game three with this series tied one-one. But CJ, as uh, as we now move into the second week of this NHL restart, another week with zero positive COVID tests in the NHL. And and I think this one probably has to feel a little bit better for the NHL because it's the first week everybody's been in the bubble. To see those zero COVID tests was is it almost like an internal fist pump for the NHL in that respect? Well, yeah, and you know the news just keeps getting better and better
7: because you know as we've talked about, there was concern about you know the, what would happen when they got back for training camps. They got through that okay, and then the the line always was that once you, you got to a point where everyone was inside the bubble for a matter of days and had been you know been tested four or five times, uh, and and obviously living under the the, the pretty tight protocols that. Uh, come with these bubbles that that you know we're we're pretty much in the clear and and you know I'm certainly no uh, you know expert on viruses and and you know I won't pronounce us uh, there prematurely but but certainly to I've only had two positive tests since the start of training camp more than three weeks ago and and to, to have none now uh, since you've got all the players and staff in the bubble I mean I think that's that's a huge sign of good news for the league. Uh, We've seen it it happening similarly in the NBA where where they're using, uh, you know, a bubble format and then the the positive test has stopped. And, of course, baseball's got the the opposite problem where they don't have uh, everyone under as tight of condition. So, you know, I I would think that, you know, we're in a really good position right now to to see this tournament play through and and to get there without having, you know, even significant players miss time or have teams have to pull out or any of those types of things. I mean, it's just, just great news for the league
4: you have been to a bunch of the games in Toronto and have been observing there and, and, and you've talked to people around the league, just your observations on from an execution standpoint and not so much the on ice product, but just how this whole thing has been executed and pulled off your observations through the first week. Well, I think even they're pleasantly
7: surprised by how smooth it's been. And, you know, smooth probably gets some air quotes because of course, as you go through this, there's, different issues you know they had one of the hotels in edmonton had an air conditioning problem for a couple of nights uh, i know they've had to rejig a, a few things here and there but you know th- this this has gone off really well the players seem happy at this point uh, i know that there'll they'll be a challenge for the teams that play you know three and four and potentially five rounds just with how long they have to live under these conditions but you know given that we're you know eight or nine days in at this point um you know, i think the bubbles have function well I think the games have gone off well. I like the way it looks on television. Um, You know, there's there's really not that much to quibble with. I mean, there's ongoing challenges like the ice, uh, which I think is is a real one. You know, I can tell you just from sitting in the arenas, it's really cold. I mean, even on arena standards, it's they've got these things cranked up or cranked down pretty low, and I'm sure that's just a product of playing two or three games every single day on on the sheet that I'm I'm in at Scotiabank Arena. Same thing going on at Rogers Place in Edmonton. And, and trying to to keep the, that in the best possible shape for you know with all those games to you know to help with the gameplay. But you know from from just what I've heard from the hospitality standpoint and and the way the bubbles work, the way the testing has gone has been smooth. And obviously, there's no positive results. that You mentioned and then the games themselves. I mean, I this is this is quite something the league has pulled together. It's it's been really really sharp and and under difficult circumstances. I, you know, I think it's it's been with very, very few flaws.
4: What about the on ice product? What have your observations been there with the games that you've seen, whether it be on, in person or on television?
7: They've been better than I thought, you know, I, I you know, I've kind of figured we'd see more games like we've seen so far in that uh, Blackhawks Oilers series, you know, with, with lots of goals and, and maybe not to lock down defensively, but as a whole, you know, I, I think you're seeing games that look like playoff games, honestly, uh, emotion, um, you, know, you know, some some controversy, which is obviously part of the playoffs, where everything matters so much, and the games do have that emotion, and then just, you know, largely pretty tight checking, and and teams, you know, focused on what they need to do to to, to try to eke out victories, and and um, you know, I, I'm sure there's some fans out there that prefer six four or six five games every night, but but the truth is, if you look at the the playoffs historically, you know, these, these games are in line with with what you should expect, and and you know, I, I didn't. I really thought there would be more mistakes, or that it would take longer for teams to find the the, the structure they want to play with. You know, even just, I guess, playing in in a the, the, the bit of an uncertain sort of these huge cavernous sound stages, essentially with no fans, everything that would be there. I, you know, I, I thought it was going to be sloppier hockey than than what it's been. But, you know, I I think it's it, it's really been a home run for the league. You know, pretty much every game's been close and there's some tension there and obviously with best of 5s it doesn't take long before certain fan bases can overreact to what's going on with their teams or or, or maybe react accordingly i guess but um you know it's it, it, it's it struck me that uh despite all the weird circumstances around this that, that the players uh are playing playoff games and and they look like it and they feel like it in the building and and certainly um you know it's it's been an interesting first you know couple of days of competition
4: just from a curiosity standpoint, we saw the one game between Montreal and Pittsburgh go to overtime and and Montreal won game 1 there, but it was not a long overtime. And and I I know the answer, but I still want like if if we get a double or triple overtime game in one of the middle games scheduled in in a daily schedule, that just means that the next start time is pushed back. The league doesn't have any other choice, right? They don't, and I, I've actually sought to try to figure
7: out if there's an official rule here, say if there's a curfew, the latest local time, they'll start the late game, and, and nobody's committing to anything, which tells me two things. Obviously, they're remaining flexible because who knows what's going to happen, and there, and there have been some days, in fact, um, you know, like today in Toronto, where all three games being played are all games that could have multiple overtimes because there, there's no round-robin games. They're all of the, 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 the qualifying round games here. Uh, today and so, um, you know, I I think that tells me that they they would start a game at nine or ten o'clock local time. I think there might be no choice in certain circumstances. I mean, maybe if they face that situation and then and the following day there wasn't a, a, a noon time game scheduled because there are some days on the schedule where it's only been two games, you know, they might choose to postpone it to the next day. But I think by and large, they're committed to to playing these things. On the day they're scheduled, and and you know obviously they have to be pushed back if they're if you get into a situation where there's a huge number of overtimes, and and you know that's just part of the weirdness. I mean, there's been all kinds of different start times between in the local markets. You know, between Edmonton, uh, where I think they had a game start at, at might have been eleven thirty local time a.m. You know, obviously here in Toronto, there's games starting at noon and four p.m. and then eight thirty at night. You know, there there is no normal at this, and and. I think because of the uncertainty of the overtime, the league just hoping uh, that, that you don't get a scenario where it's three or four overtimes in that middle game because, you know, that really challenges the late game. It, it basically takes about 75 minutes, is my understanding, to turn things around from the end of one game to to when the earliest you can start, uh, the one that, that immediately follows it. And so, you know, this is, a, this is a tough time slot we're in right now. If any of these games run too long, um, you know, there's a chance that, the night game starting
4: really, really late. Chris Johnson's with us, our NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays here on Pinder and Steinberg. Uh, let's let's focus in a little bit bigger picture off ice stuff. But uh, we're now we're now waiting for a ruling on the John Chikas situation with the Arizona Coyotes. Gary Bettman is going to rule on that. What's what's the timeline and and when do we find out how this plays out? I don't know the first time when
7: for you, but my understanding is it'll be pretty quick. No, I don't think the legal wants us to, to link to a law. I mean, for for one part of it is the devils are trying to hire John Chica. And Obviously, if they're not able to do so, if not in a position to enter into another uh, contract with the you know, obviously both, both organizations will want to know that and, and react accordingly. And I, I just think from a practical standpoint, um, you know, it's probably not that complicated, for, you know, legally. It's complicated for us on the outside because. I haven't seen the exact language in the contract. I don't know what's in writing in terms of getting permission to speak to another team and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, once the commissioner's office uh, is able to review everything there, you know, I I don't think it should be too long before, you know, figuring out essentially, you know, is, is he free to go? Was he given permission? Um, Does this constitute um, a, a move upwards, which is, you know, in, in pro sports generally, if someone's an assistant general manager and, and, and another team wants to hire them away to be GM, that's allowed. I mean, usually your team can't stand in the way uh, of that happening. I think that's partly what's in dispute here um, with the Devils because you know they, they have a GM. They, they've made Tom Fitzgerald their general manager. I believe the job that John Chayka has talked about is, is one that involves you know a, a position that covers or other sp- sports for that ownership group, which includes the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA. Um, And so it's 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 complicated in a sense that the relationship with the Coyotes and and John Chica obviously soured over this. But but I think it's something we should get some clarity on from from the league pretty shortly here.
4: What about Joe Thornton's future? There had been some talk buzzing around and and you and Elliot have done some reporting on it about potentially playing in Switzerland in the near future. What uh, what's the near future hold for Joe Thornton? Well, I think really his decision
7: hinges on if they're going to play hockey in Switzerland or not this year, you know, as normal. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a sort of a mix in the European League. Some are committed to starting up um, the way things were, like the KHL, uh, like in Finland and I believe in Sweden. Uh, all are sort of scheduled to get going in August, September uh, on a similar time frame to what, we would, what you would see normally. Whereas my understanding of the, the Swiss League is that there's still no decision on when they're going to start or if they're going to play and all those things. But if they do play, you know, as, as Elliot mentioned on headlines on Saturday night, uh, you know, there's at least some thought I think out there that Joe Thornton might elect to, to sign a contract and, um, you know, play, play some games in Switzerland. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. We've seen some some teams do this, for example, with their young prospects that are of European uh, you know, they've loaned them to those teams to play games and, and practice and be able to stay, in game shape over there while waiting for what will be the start of the 2020, 21 NHL season. And, you know, Joe Thornton, you know, summers for, for part of the year um, every year in Switzerland. I, I believe he met his wife actually way back in the four five lockout uh, when he played for Davos uh, in, in the Swiss league. And, you know, ended up marrying a woman from that country and spent time there. And I think this makes a whole lot of sense, especially at his age. I mean, all the, all the seven teams that, that aren't part of this return to play, you know, there, there's, there's a, a large concern for them about, you know, getting their players opportunities to, to keep uh, as sharp as possible. I think mm-hmm. that you might see out of those seven teams, some kind of tournament held or, you know, there's there's been various discussions about ways those teams might be able to, to still have their players play some games and, 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 and those types of things. And I think Joe Thornton essentially is potentially in a position to take matters into his own hand and sign there in Switzerland, uh, you know, assuming there's a league and, and teams that, that are, that are playing games you know within the time frame we're talking
4: great stuff as always CJ we'll talk again on Thursday thank you so much man all right enjoy the game Chris Johnston our NHL insider who joins us on Tuesdays and Thursdays here on Pinder and Steinberg lots of great stuff about the bubble and uh, yeah where is Joe Thornton going to be is he going to go play in Switzerland we'll find that out in the coming days as well Pat Steinberg along with you we'll get you up to date as to what's happening in the NHL and get you set for the Flames and the Jets which gets going at 4:45 this afternoon when we wrap up Pinder and Steinberg around the corner Chris Johnston joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports guest hotline and and this is Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960,
0: The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Drop for Stepan. Tries to go across in front, broken up there. And Johansson sends it out for Arvidsson. Speeding in right wing side. The shot, he scored! Victor Arvidsson on the power play. And the Predators have taken a 4-0 lead. And
4: that was more than enough for the Predators to tie their best-of-five play-in series with the Arizona Coyotes at one game apiece. Four different goal scorers, including Victor arvidson Nick Benino, Ryan Johansson, and Callie Yarncroke, all score for the Preds. They win 4 2 as the Coyotes got a couple of garbage time goals in the final minute. Clayton Keller and Lawson kraus scoring in the final 60 seconds to turn a 4 nothing deficit into a 4 2 Predators win. So that series tied at one game apiece. Ap- the other game that has gone final from earlier today has the New York Islanders taking a 2 0 series lead on the Florida Panthers. And every time you want to write off Barry trots his team or every time you don't give them enough credit they uh tell you uh hey don't forget that all we've done is exceed expectations so the islanders take a 4-2 win over the florida panthers and they now lead that series two games to none underway right now columbus blue jackets and toronto maple leafs are scoreless and uh let's do some quick math it's now 96 minutes and 16 seconds without a goal for the toronto maple leafs Got shut out in game one, did not score through the first period of this game against the Columbus Blue Jackets, and uh, almost 14 minutes into this uh Second period, um, the Columbus Blue Jackets and Toronto Maple Leafs, ninety-four minutes and uh, forty-four seconds is actually the correct math on that. Um, It's been a long time since the Maple Leafs have scored, and they have yet to score in this return to play. Six sixteen to go in the second period, game two of that series, scoreless between Columbus and Toronto. But how about the shots? Maple Leafs have outshot Columbus twenty-five to eight to this point. Uh, That game is on right now. You can catch it, and of course, the game that we're getting set for is coming your way in just over an hour's time we're getting our calgary flames warm-up going at 3 30 but 4:45 is puck drop this afternoon for the calgary flames and the winnipeg jets who's taking a 2-1 series lead who's pushing the other team to the brink of elimination we're finding out this afternoon peter has joins me up next for calgary flames warm-up we'll hear from head coach jeff ward along with defenseman tj brody and break this one down that'll do it for pinder and steinberg for outstanding producer logan gordon and for peter klein my name is pat steinberg everything up is is up at sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now calgary flames warm up five minutes away stay tuned on sportsnet 960 the fan